Welcome, welcome. It is Three Degrees with proper fangirl. That is me. I am Heather Anna. Hi. How how are you? You feeling you feeling pretty good? Okay, good. We have kind of a big episode today. I'm not going to lie. This has been in the works for a hot second. We're talking about Stevie Wonder today. You know, I just called to tell you how much I love Stevie Wonder. And then we're going to talk about who brought Sexy back, <laughs> Justin Timberlake, and Breland and his truck. So we're going to have a good day today. It's it's going to be a great day. I know you were like, I didn't know what kind of day it was going to have today. And now you do, because I told you that's the kind of day you're going to have, because I'm speaking it into existence for you. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. So whatever you're doing, whether you're cooking dinner or you're driving around in your car or you're sitting at your desk pretending to work right now, buckle up, get ready. I'm going to try to do three segments, two of which are the largest stars um, out there that are musicians and artists in their own categories, and then a new up-and-coming who's making their own category that I think we're going to be talking about for a while. So it's going to be a good one. This is today's episode of Three Degrees. All right, guys, we're going to talk about Stevie Wonder first. Well, actually, I'm going to take that back. We're actually going to talk about Stevlin Hardaway Judkins. Did, Did you not know? You don't know him. Okay, well, that's Stevie Wonder before he was Stevie Wonder. In fact, that's Stevie Wonder before he was Lil Stevie Wonder. That's him before. Yeah, anyway, so that's where he started. You know, he was born premature. His retinas were detached, so he's been blind since he was born. So mom was a little protective. She was a single mom, and she was literally like, you know what? I prefer you to be in the house. I prefer you to be in the house. Here's some things that you can do. Here are some, uh, here's a drum set. Here's a harmonica. Here's a piano. Do it, do it what you will. And what he did do was like, oh, okay, well, I think that I'm going to learn this and master it by the time I'm nine or 10 years old. So he did. And around this time in the summer of 1960, Stevie was outside and he had only one rule. If he was going to be outside, you can be in the yard. That's fine. But if you're going to go cross the street, you have to have somebody with you. Don't blindly go walking through the street. Listen, that's not a bad joke. Stevie would laugh at that joke. He's very self-deprecating, okay? He would he would understand it, you know? So don't, you know, don't write me a letter. And if you do, where would you send it anyway? <laughs> okay. He hears the music. It's several blocks away. He can tell it's far, but he hears it faintly. And he's like, okay, the rule is I got to have somebody walk me across the street. So he walks as far as he can, listening to the music, trying to figure out where it's coming from, right? Gets to the street, waits for somebody. Hey, can you help me across the street? Yes. Goes to the next spot. Okay. I think this is about where I need to turn. Hey, can you help me across the street? And he does this for several blocks until he gets to somebody's house and there's guitars and drums and all the things. And of course, did he bring his bongos? Of course he did. He brought his bongos. Brings his bongos, sits down and starts playing and singing with this group of people as you would, right? But he's like this 10-year-old boy. And then there's a woman there that happens to be from his local church who was like, "Mm, I'm going to tell your mother that you're doing this because this is not the Lord's songs. Mm. Okay. Thanks, Karen. Then there happened to be the brother of Ronnie White, who was in the Miracles, who was signed with Motown, happened to be there and is listening to little Stevie and was like, man, this kid is talented. Like, this is crazy. So... He goes back to Motown and says, look, you've got to let him audition. So they bring Stevie in and Stevie's like, I don't even know what we're doing, right? He's like a room full of pianos and guitars and drums. And yeah, I mean, like, heck yeah, this sounds awesome and great. 
So they get him in there. They get him to audition in front of Ronnie White. And Ronnie White's like, uh, yeah, hold on. They run over to Barry Gordy, who was the head of Motown at the time, and was like, he's eating dinner. And he's like, dude, <laughs> polish off your steak. We got to go. Finish the potato later. I'm, I'm telling you, we got to go. You got to go see this kid. And Barry Gordy goes over and goes, yeah, this is some talent. We, we got to get you signed. But the Stevland hard, oh, so wordy. How about little Stevie Wonder? You know, because he was like this wonder kid. They couldn't get over his talent. Like he mastered the harmonica, the drums, and the piano by the time he was 10 years old. And he's like this kid with just uber, uber gift, uber talent, right? So they get him signed to Motown and they get him on the Billboard Hot 100s for pop and R&B. It's 1963. He's 13 years old. He's having some success right here in the beginning. And so he goes along and he does his little thing. And, oh, well, what if I did this? And I'm like, nah, we, I'm not going to do that. We, we, we got a plan for you. It's like, oh, well, what if we did this? Like, mm, yeah, not so much. And he starts getting the idea that they're not really interested in his creative ideas. So he's like, hmm, I don't love that. So he decides, I'm just going to let my contract just naturally expire. So he does. He signs with the new record. He's gone for a little while, but he comes back in 1972 to Motown and was like, listen, if you want to work with me, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to have full creative control and I am going to have the rights to my music. And they were like, mm, we don't really do that. <laughs> so yeah, that's cute, but no, we're not really doing it. He said, okay, that's cool. You know, but like we can work something else. Like, nope, creative control fully and the right style of my music or we don't move forward. And I'm sure he said it in a really nice kind of jokey, silly way, kind of the way that Stevie does because he's always kind of joking around and he's real pleasant, but mm -mm, he wasn't kidding. He wanted full creative control. So he got it. So he comes back to Motown and what happened when Stevie Wonder got full creative control? Well, he had what they call the classic period of Stevie Wonder. He started off with music of my mind, but then Inner Visions in 1973, Fulfillingness, first finale in 74, Songs in the Key of Life in 76, the year I was born. All of those won a Grammy for Album of the Year. Three consecutive albums. You can go ahead and name another artist that's done this. Mm, I'll wait. Nope. 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 I don't have to wait because I know the answer to this. Nobody else has done it. He's tied the record holder for the most album of the year wins, but he's the only one to have done it with three consecutive album releases. So once he got creative control, then we really started making some music. This was Sign Sealed, Delivered, I'm Yours. I just go to say I love you, which he dedicated to Nelson Mandela, by the way. And he did Superstition and Isn't She Lovely, which he wrote about his daughter. Don't make me start crying. Harry Styles did that in his little X Factor audition. I'm sorry, did I just bring up Harry Styles again? Somebody, is there somebody here that can control? Nobody can control me <laughs> It's just me. It's just me. Nobody can control it. All right. I want to tell you this little tidbit about me and my relationship to Stevie Wonder. Of course, I knew. I just called to say I love you. Obviously, I knew that. I knew Isn't She Lovey and Science Healed Delivered. I knew those. But, you know, he did a 
they did a commercial about orange juice. Do you remember the commercial? You are the sunshine of my life, Minute Maid. Yeah, I cannot not hear Minute Maid at the end of that line. Like, literally, Minute Maid ruined, ruined that. I just, anyway, that's my connection to Stevie Wonder. But what I knew about Stevie Wonder was that he had a, a really special sway when he played the piano that was so freaking enjoyable. I just, I couldn't hardly contain myself when I listened to it. I mean, I kind of wanted to sway with him. You know what I mean? Like, I was just in it. We're in it to win it. We're in it to feel it, right? But Stevie Wonder wasn't just a performer. He was also a social activist. In 1982, he took part in the campaign to get a petition that got 6 million signatures, BT-dubs, to make MLK's birthday a national holiday. He cared about changing the world. He cared about unifying cultures, unifying races, bringing people together. And he took an active role in that. Stevie Wonder, if you saw him in interviews, was jovial and funny and self-deprecating and always making jokes about whether he could see you or he couldn't or show me this or what have you. He did not take himself too seriously, but he did participate in trying to create a better world where we could see each other as humans. Stevie Wonder has 23 albums, 25 Grammys, which is the most by a solo artist, and a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, as you would expect. He has been asked to sing at funeral services for Michael Jackson, Etta James, Whitney Houston, and Aretha Franklin. I don't know anybody who has not been impacted by Stevie Wonder and his music. He talks about his harmonica being his little portable mini saxophone that he could take anywhere with him. And if you don't know the delightful sound of Stevie and his harmonica while he's playing the piano and singing to you with everything in him, with that tinny, beautiful chest voice that he has. Where have you been? He was inducted into the Rhythm and Blues Music Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Rhythm and Blues, Rock and Roll. I mean, if you remember the synthesizer, he was part of bringing that to music. I mean, you know, the sound of the 80s. What I love the most is that his very first single was not only a hit on the pop Billboard Hot 100, but also on the R&B charts. So he wasn't just a single genre. Which leads me to my next guest. Now, I promise you that we're not going to be able to talk about my next artist without mentioning his boy band status. I want to talk about him solely as his solo artist self. But like, why? We have to get into the fact that he was also a boy band member. But before then... A few other things were happening. You are going to be right if you guess that he was a Baptist boy raised in church, singing in church. Uh, in fact, all three of my artists started out in church. It's just the place that you start, apparently. But what did he originally do? Listen, 
This young Justin Timberlake had a dream, and his dream was to be an artist. He wanted to be a musician. He wanted to be a singer. He wanted to do all of the things. And so where do you go if you were born in 1981? So in 1992, what were we doing? Were we on Star Search? Um, Yes. <laughs> Sweet little Justin Timberlake was on Star Search. He got three and a quarter stars three and a quarter stars. But it's okay. He didn't make it there because then he went on to the Mickey Mouse Club. You know Mickey Mouse Club. You know Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Ryan Gosling, Demi Lovato, Selena Gomez. Weren't they all in the Disney Club? We birthed all these sweet little babies and we have all of them still today. Isn't it glorious? 93 and 94, he was at the Mickey Mouse Club. And then he was discovered And they were like, by Mr. Lou Pearlman, oh, wasn't he a gem? Making money off of young boys. How, uh, what's the word? Uh, Creepy and thievery-ish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's the word. Technically, actually. So Lou Pearlman finds Justin Timberlake and they end up creating InSync. And when I think in sync, I think bye-bye-bye. Uh, and I think of my sister's wedding in 2000. I can't remember which year. But my brother-in-law and all of his friends danced to bye-bye-bye. I was very pregnant with one of my children. And I laughed so hard. I thought I was just going to have his baby right there. Just yeah, his, laughing so hysterically. Surely that could push a baby out. It did not, sadly. But I did have the best time ever. And thank you, NSYNC, for Bye Bye Bye, because it's just a great dance and it's a great song. And it was a lot of fun. However, I don't think that was Justin Timberlake's idea of what he wanted to do forever and ever. No, he had visions of becoming a solo artist. He had ideas of what he wanted to do. So eventually they broke up after a few years of being together. They were actually together for seven years, two years longer than a lot of bands. So y'all were pretty lucky with NSYNC. And so then he gets out of the band and what does he do? His first solo album. Oh, BT Dubs. He also dated Britney Spears for a couple of years. So that was that happened, and then he wrote the album Justified. Here we go, and I'm gonna tell you this came out. When did Justified come out? Like 2002, I think. Oh my gosh! Okay, so I had had I was at home with children, so this was like my cool music. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. I love this. Cry me a river. I mean, like the beginning of that song and then you hear the rain and then the music video and mm-mm. he's like, I don't care what you say, girl, what I don't, I don't care. And you did me wrong. No, mm-mm. the answer is no mm-mm. back up. No, don't care about your tears, mm-mm. which love this album was critically acclaimed. Like they were like, look at you little Justin Timberlake coming out of NSYNC and doing your first solo album. You did such a good job. Yes, you did. No, I'm just kidding. They took him seriously. They took him seriously. Man, it's hard to do sometimes with these boy bands because they did dress alike and they did dance together. It wasn't like One Direction at all. I'm sorry. Did I just mention? Did I just mention One Direction and I mentioned Harry Styles and the Stevie Wonder? Okay, it's on the mind. Stop judging me about this. This boy bands, it's related. It's basically the same thing. Justin Timberlake and Harry Styles are very similar, except they're not alike at all. But whatever, it's fine. They both came from a boy band and they're doing really good. 
But then Justin Timberlake wanted to be a slashy. Do you guys know what a slashy is? It's like an actor slash musician. A slashy. I don't know really who coined that term, but somebody did. And I think it's hilarious. So he took kind of like a little bit of a break. He did Sexy Back in 2006 featuring Timbaland. Oh, my God. He talks about how that song came about. He's like, I'm bringing sexy back. And Timbaland goes, yeah. And that was it. That was it. He was like, oh, yeah, just ad lib the whole time. And if you do not love that song, what is what is actually wrong with you? Are you no fun at all? How could you not like that song? It's like one of the most. I'm not going to argue with you right now. Sit down. Put your hand down. Don't you put, don't you put that finger in my face. Sexy Backs is good. What about Senorita? You listen to that song at the beginning of Senorita? How do you not start shoulder shaking? You got a shoulder. Uh, 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 you can't help it. You can't help it. I can't even make those noises. My little beatboxing Justin Timberlake. Freaking love him. Okay, listen. Then he got into the acting. Right. I told you that a second ago. He got into the acting and he did uh, several things. And I was like, Justin Timberlake, shut up. Oh, my God. You're you are good. Look at you being like dramatic and funny and cute. I mean, I always thought he was cute. And sometimes I wish he would stop shaving his head because like, why do you get rid of the curls when you're a grown up? Why? It's so cute. I think he blows them out now. Like, I literally think that he did. Maybe his hormones changed, but I doubt it. I think that he's literally taking a hairbrush to those curls. Jessica, please help him not do that. Jessica Beals, his wife, by the way. They have two children. But we're not going to talk about that. We're talking about his career and how every time he does an album, he's trying to break into a new space, right? Here, he wanted so badly to be R&B. He was like so excited when Justified came out. I was like, yes, I did a whole R&B album. This is going to be amazing. And they were like, great album for pop. And he was like, ah, that's not what I intended at all. So he had to make peace with the fact that people saw it as a pop album. Okay, that's fine. We don't need it to be anything other than what it is. The music is great. The dancing is fabulous. And if we could just let the curls come back... Sorry, just kind of stuck on that. Anyway, but he grew up listening to Stevie and the Jackson 5 and Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney. And he talks about how Paul McCartney specifically created this environment when he does a show. Paul McCartney's part of the Beatles, in case you didn't know. How he does a show. He does a three-hour show. He makes it feel like his living room. He makes it feel intimate. He talks with them. He switches out from guitar to piano or whatever and just gives them this really intimate scenario in a stadium, which is hard to do. If you've never been to a stadium concert, um, your little artist is about big, like there's the size of an ant. And it can be hard to feel connected. But Justin was like, I want to feel connected with my artist. And I, in fact, I saw one of the stadium show tours that he did. He created this. It was probably seven or eight feet wide. And it was plexiglass so you could see through it. And it floated across the pit. So there's your favorite artist dancing, singing, and they're coming above you and passing you. Uh, yes, please. Love it. But he loves the music. He loves the process. He loves 
finding a natural collaboration with people. Like, come in, sit down. Let's see what happens when I sit down with Timbaland. I mean, are we going to figure out how to do Sexy Back? We didn't even know we were going to write that song. Did he end up doing Suit and Tie with Jay-Z and end up touring with him? He did. Um, That's because he was writing songs for Beyonce. What? With Pharrell. He's running in some serious circles of songwriting that are highly creative and everything that I love about today's music. Timbaland, Pharrell, Justin Timberlake, they're making the kind of music that moves me, like physically moves me, like makes me want to dance, moves me, like makes me happy, moves me. And then in 2016, after he'd taken another little break and doing all of his stuff, having getting married, having children, all those things, He comes up with the song Can't Stop the Feeling that he wrote for the Trolls movie, a little animated film. Is there anybody that does not know this song? I feel like I thought that song said something like, and I've got soap in my pocket. I think he says soul. The soul in my pocket or my pocket full of soul. I thought it was pocket full of soap for a really long time. Um, Yeah. So there's that. But What I like about Justin Timberlake, first of all, he's cool, okay? He's got the sneakers, he's got all the hats, he's got 75,000 denim button-ups with a graphic tee and cool pants underneath. Um, He's definitely giving hot dad vibes at this point, but I'm 45, so that's okay, and he's in his 40s, and he's got children. He's He's a man of the woods. That was his album in 2018. But what I have enjoyed as I've been studying his persona in interviews, as he talks and has conversations, he's in love with the music. He's in love with the process. And he has a great amount of respect for other artists and their process, especially if they are headed in a direction that is new and interesting and not just like the thing that we're listening to right now. And you know what that means? That points me to my very next artist. Okay, so here we are. We're going to talk about this up-and-coming artist. He's been on the scene for a minute, but not a lot of minutes, okay? His name is Daniel Gerard Breland. But he's not going by that because that's just so wordy. Uh, Just Breland. And why Breland? To honor his family. To give a new name to his family. So that should tell you a little something about this artist. First of all, I was looking for new artists, just in general, just a couple of months ago, and I happened upon Breland, and uh, he has a song called My Truck. Now, technically, it sounds a little country. It sounds country, but there's some elements to it that it was like, this is way different. Is this new country? Is this what's happening in country music right now? Because as a lot of you probably know, especially if you're overseas, country is a very specific genre. There's not a lot of variance, and there hasn't been. Now, we've talked about some of my other artists, where Taylor Swift is like, I this is the way that my country is going to sound, and then transitioned over to pop, and transitioned kind of back, and there's some kind of mixture of country pop for Taylor Swift, right? And there are other artists where it's like Lil Nas, we talked about it in the very last episode, where they said, Old Town Road, this is not really country. 
Billy Ray Cyrus says, well, put me on it and it will be. So something kind of similar here happened with Breland. But let me tell you where Breland comes from. Breland was born in Jersey. So he is a Northerner. Now, us Southerners, we're not always 100% sure how we feel about Northerners. I'm just kidding. I love a Northerner. Generally speaking, they are frank and forward, and I can have a very direct conversation with them. And I enjoy that because I am very direct and very forward. So he was from Jersey and he moved to Atlanta 2017 after being raised in the church with two ordained ministers, his parents who led worship, and they all sang. Like mom and dad were the top of the top. Like there was an expectation that he might sing. In fact, he didn't really have a plan. He went to boarding school in Jersey when he was 14 and decided, I want what do I want to be? You know, it's like when you go to a new place, like I could be anything I want to be here. I could be, I could be, I could be social. I could be, I could be the life of the party. I could be, I could be an artist. What do you do? What do you do? What are your hobbies? Oh, I'm an artist. And so he started saying that Breland's going around telling everybody that he's an artist. And he had a friend that was also a musician. And so they started writing music together after he told a couple people that he was an artist. He was like, I guess I should make, make, maybe I'll make some music now that I've said that. Like, I could be whoever I want to be, but I might have to actually do it. So he starts doing that and he kind of falls in love with songwriting. So much so that he's like, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to do. So he moves to Atlanta. He gets a job regular corporate tech job by day. And by night, he's going to the studio, spending hours upon hours writing songs. So he'd write one or two or three songs a day. And he's writing constantly. He has a unrelenting, hardworking, competitive, I have to have this kind of drive. And he ends up writing for some people. He wrote for Trey Songs. He met a producer named Troy Taylor, and they started mentoring him and grooming him to be part of the industry. And so he's out there doing the grind, right? He's writing all the music for other people. So he'd be pitching, here's a song for this, or here's this type of genre. And he's not really, you know, R&B, rap, hip hop kind of vibes, pop. Um, and then he starts getting kind of close to the ideas that are involved in country music. There was a specific sound. There was a circular motion in the way that country music songs were written. He talks about them having like an aha moment and he kind of liked that. He was like, okay, that's interesting. But he was just writing songs. He was just going to be a songwriter. And at some point he was like, you know, man, what about like maybe maybe I could perform a song. And they were like, man, you are good at writing songs. But that's like, that's the thing. That's what you do. You write songs. You're not like really a performer. I mean, double dog dare me twice. He said, I think that I'm going to decide that I'd like to perform. And even though they told him, I don't think that's a great idea. I think you found your space. I think this is where you should live. I think you're a songwriter, not a performer. He released his first debut single after waiting all day for another artist to show up and then just messing around and said something about like, I could write a country song. And they're like, dude, you could not write a country song. He said, watch this. And they wrote my truck. Now, 
This debut single called My Truck came out in September of 2019. It's two and a half million plus streams in the U.S. And it went gold. So I guess maybe he could because it was his voice. And then something really kind of magical started happening. He started finding opportunities to collaborate with people. He co-wrote two songs with Keith Urban. Dirks Bentley actually reached out to him. was like, hey, man, uh, my name's Dirks Bentley. I'm a country singer. <laughs> Breland's like, yeah, I, I, I know. I know who you are. He's like, listen, I, I found you online. I'm interested in you. And he ended up touring with him and did 15 shows with him. He was like, okay, here we go. He got offered a deal on Apple to do a show. But here's what I loved about Breland. Okay. I listened to several interviews. This is what I do. I go back and I'm trying to find out who you are and what you represent. What are you bringing to the table? What are you bringing to music? What is the message that you are trying to give? And he has this thing called cross country and it's like a genre, but not a genre. Okay. He wants there to be a fusion between country and every other type of genre. He feels like we've put country music in a box and it feels like it's not for some people, or it feels like it's not marketed to certain people, or maybe there are certain communities and cultures who don't know enough about country. But if we mixed it with a little R&B or a little pop or a little rap or a little dance, then perhaps we could create music without borders. Perhaps we could bring people into the country music industry who are maybe not aware of other artists like Breland and go, hey man, you seem just like me. I seem just like you. Perhaps we are the same. I mean, this age-old question of the problems that we have with racism. Breland is a young Black male who's one of the very few Black people in country music. But why is that? He has told stories of how people have come to him and said, you are ruining country music as I know it. You are ruining my idea of what country music is supposed to look like and sound like. And what his response to this type of racist comment is, I am not in the business of pacifying racists. I am in the business of converting them. I mean, just let that sit with you for a second. I'm not going to make you feel good about feeling that way. I'm going to talk to you about how we are the same. I'm going to talk to you about this division that we've had going on between our cultures, that there's absolutely no reason for it anymore. And we need to move on. He says, I stand for unity and community and breaking down barriers and telling your story. He has the song that he did that's called Cross Country. And I can't think of a person that could not relate to this song. And I'm going to do what you may not want me to, but I'm going to read you just a little bit of the lyrics. Okay. Jersey made. I was born and raised in the garden state and my mama prayed I would trust in God. Growing up is hard. So I made mistakes in the DMV, getting my degree. It was fun and games before the drinking age. I tried to fit in, but didn't. I'm different. Yeah, I know. 
The houses I stayed in were great, but they never felt like home. I'm going cross country. I won't stop running till I find where I belong. I'm going cross country. I know they might judge me. I ain't got to prove them wrong because I know it's okay to be in my own lane when I'm doing what they said can't be done. I won't stop running till I find where I belong. Went to ATL where the nights are long with a thousand songs that would never sell till I dropped the bomb that would put me on. Did it by myself. Heard the living's good out in Hollywood. Thought I might as well. And I signed a deal. I tried to fit in, but didn't. I'm different. I just resonated with that. We have to stop worrying about whether this is exactly what a person wants to hear or not, or whether or not they completely and totally understand. But I do want to offer some information. We are the same, you and I, and we are different. And both things can exist in the same space, but I encourage every single one of you to take music in every genre and find your little niche, your little home, your little carved out place and enjoy it there. And also step a little bit outside of your comfort zone and listen to some new music that might touch you in a way that you were not anticipating. This is the beauty of three artists like Stevie, Justin, and Breland who are pushing the boundaries of what everybody else was playing and making and creating that has brought such joy to our lives. So that's it. That was today's episode. Stevie Wonder, Justin Timberlake and Breland. All powerhouses in their own right, all bringing something really different. I'll tell you one thing that I forgot to tell you about Justin Timberlake. He manifested working with Timberland. Stevie Wonder fought to have rights to his own music. Breland said, I'm not going to get told that I can't perform because you think I'm a songwriter. You don't get to define that for me. We have a voice. It's important that we use our voice. This isn't just about musicians. This isn't just about music. It's really about expanding your horizons. It's really about stepping outside of your box, the box that you may have been living in, the box that may have been given to you from your parents, from your friends, the box you may have put yourself in. I love music almost more than I love anything. And this is why it can push us just outside of something that we thought we knew to help us discover what we did not already know. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and I'll see you next time on Three Degrees.